Good morning, New Life Manitou. My name is Danae. Would you guys please stand for the scripture reading? Today's reading is from Psalm 46, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. God is our refuge and strength, a help always near in times of trouble. That's why we won't be afraid when the world falls apart, when the mountains crumble into the center of the sea, when its waters roar and rage, when the mountains shake because of its surging waves. There is a river whose streams gladden God's city, the holiest dwelling of the Most High. God is in that city. It will never crumble. God will help it when morning dawns. Nations roar. Kingdoms crumble. God utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of heavenly forces is with us. The God of Jacob is our place of safety. Come, see the Lord's deeds, what devastation he has imposed on the earth, bringing wars to an end in every corner of the world, breaking the bow and shattering the spear, burning chariots with fire. That's enough. Now know that I am God. I am exalted among all nations. I am exalted throughout the world. The Lord of heavenly forces is with us. The God of Jacob is our place of safety. And that's our prayer. Um, we pray with the psalmist in faith that you are our place of safety, Lord Jesus. Some of us come into the room this morning, however we got here, um, whatever circumstances brought us here, and um, we need to hear this. We need to hear gospel. We need to hear good news that you are our refuge, that you, the Lord of heavenly forces, are with us, that you are for us. And so we ask in the midst of a world that's often filled with spears and swords, and as I was reading um, the news this morning, gas attacks in Syria and suffocating children. In a, in a world that's often filled with darkness, we ask that right now, right here, in these moments, Lord Jesus, that your spirit would quicken us, would awaken us, would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and hearts that can perceive that there's something really good at the center of this world, at the center of your creation, at the center of the universe and that it's you. So we ask that you would come and, um, and speak as we reflect on your scripture. Um, Lord Jesus, may the meditations of our, of our mouths and the, or however it goes, may the, may the meditations of our heart and the, may all of it be pleasing in your sight. Yes. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Yep. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 You can be seated. That'll teach me to use liturgy that I'm not familiar with. <laughs> Boom. Hey, uh, my name's Brett uh, Davis, and my family and I have been becoming a part of New Life Manitou over the last six months or so. I'm um, stoked. 
I'm pumped to be uh, sharing with you this morning. Uh, I've known, Joe asked me like a little while back, and so I've been meditating on and praying through uh, Psalm 46 for a little while, um, for a few weeks now. And there was this moment this week when um, when I really did, I, I all of a sudden, uh, Psalm 46 like landed for me. I was like, uh, some part of it like really struck me because we actually just moved down here from uh, Denver. We moved to Colorado Springs. Woo woo for Colorado Springs. That's right. We couldn't make it. We couldn't make it all the way into Manitou. You guys really should do something about like the cost of living in Manitou. Um, it's incredible. We our hearts are here with you, um, but we we had to. I know we had to settle for the springs. Um, so <laughs> whatever. Um, and so we actually just moved down here. And uh, earlier this week, we had um, our dryer actually just got delivered this week. Like uh, the washer got delivered the day we moved, and then the dryer showed up a week and a half later. Don't ask. Um, and our two-year-old, Daphne, um, if you've seen her around, pigtails, adorable, the cutest child in the world. I would wrestle you for it. Um, uh, Daphne is not too sure about dryers. She's not too certain about them. What she knows with absolute certainty about dryers is that they make a loud noise when they are done. The dryer roars when it's finished. Joy and I, have, it goes, you guys know the dryer sound, or at least on the old-fashioned dryers. Um, I, I think they're new ones that do charming little musical tones or something. Yeah, I'm seeing nods. Yeah, I'm not making that up. Um, Joy and I have tried to turn, we tried to turn the old-fashioned buzzer into something, uh, you know, a little bit more fun or playful or something. We tried to turn it into the dryers just saying, all done, you know, it's, it's just saying that it's all done and that worked just a little bit. But there was this moment Tuesday afternoon when the dryer got delivered um, and she and Daphne saw the dryer, the, this new dryer in our new house, in this new setting, and Joy started the load of laundry going, you know, the ching ching the, the, dry, the dryer's going and she could hear it making the dryer sounds. And then there was this moment when all of a sudden, like, she's processing, oh, no, the sound is coming. That, that sound is, it's whatever that sound. And so she, like, ran over to me. I'm sitting on the couch, and she runs over to me, and she climbs up in my lap. And she's, like, scared, and she comes to me as, like, I, she came to me, and all of a sudden, like, the psalm, like, comes to mind. Um, I, me, <laughs> you, you as parents know this. I was her place of refuge. Like I'm her, like her strength, a help in her, in her great moment of trouble that she's coming over to me. She rested. I could feel her little body just like relax and she's like safe in my arms. And there was this moment when like um, I, I realized I'm her, her place of safety. I'm her refuge. And as I sat there holding her, um, explaining to her, trying to, that like we've turned the buzzer off on this new dryer and that like there's nothing to worry about and that everything's just fine. You know, I also like, the psalm came to mind, but I also like, also came to mind like on a deeper level for me. Um, I thought about how this is like this psalm, this moment is like this psalm, and how it's not like this psalm at all. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little like it, but it's not. But I, the dryer's a little like this psalm. I'm her refuge and strength, but I, I can protect my two-year-old from a dryer uh, yeah, I can protect her from a dryer, mostly because a dryer's roar is not dangerous. A dryer's roar is not... I can tell her everything's fine. There's nothing to worry about because everything's fine. <laughs> There's nothing to worry about. Like, it's legit. I can be a refuge and strength for her um, 
last Tuesday, this past Tuesday, I can be a refuge and strength for her because the trouble isn't that great. It's not really that great. And so in that way, it's like different from this psalm because this psalm, Psalm 46, if you've got your Bibles, like I would encourage you to like open them. If you've got like a smartphone, something, uh, I'd encourage you to load it up. It's the scripture. It's what we, what we have. Um, this psalm is describing like the worst of times. It's describing the scariest of all circumstances. It's describing the greatest of all troubles. And yet, and yet, this psalm is still confident it's still confident on a, on a purely descriptive level. If you just want to glance at the psalm really quickly, on a purely descriptive level, this psalm has like three movements. It has three stanzas. If it were a modern song, we'd say that this song has three verses. The first verse of the song, the first uh, stanza, the first verse is verses one through three. The second stanza, it runs through verses four through seven. And then the song ends with a third stanza in verses eight through 11. And after each of these sections, we we find the Hebrew word selah. Selah is at the end of verse three, the end of verse seven, and the verse end of verse eleven. Nobody exactly knows what this word means, but our best guess is it's some sort of like musical term. It's an ancient Hebrew uh, like musical term. Scholars think that it's like some sort of indication for the music leader, because this is a song, for the music leader to like pause to like breathe, to like let people reflect or to pray or praise. It might be like the ancient equivalent of when Sarah and the band are leading us in worship, when they just like keep playing, but they like let it breathe a little bit. They like give space for us to be present for us to be fully present with God. And so, and the song begins, you guys can notice that the song begins with God is our refuge and strength, the help always near in times of great trouble. And then quite sensibly, like a, like, like a modern song, this opening, these opening lyrics, like they develop. It, like it's a shot across the bow at first and then like these opening lines develop. Um, into a refrain, into a chorus, into like the heartbeat of the song because the second and third section, stanzas of the song, verses 11 or and 7, they say the same thing. It's the chorus of the song, breaking out into it. The Lord of heavenly forces is with us. The God of Jacob is our place of safety. That's the like refrain of the psalm. That's the, the chorus of the song, the, the song of the people of God singing. God is our refuge and strength. Those powerful divine hands that crafted the cosmos, they've got our back. Got our back. Verse two, that's why we won't be afraid when the world falls apart. And that's the lyric, that's the verse right there that's haunted me over the last few weeks as I've been meditating on Psalm 46. That's the lyric that's haunted me. We won't be afraid when the world falls apart. Really, really, we won't. Not when some silly buzzer buzzes. Like, that's, that's, not, a, that's not quite a big deal. But when the world falls 
apart. My wife and I um, know um, people from our former church, and um, they're in their, uh, I'd say, mid-50s. And um, she, the wife, uh, just died of ALS. The last four years, um, progressively, she's been getting weaker and weaker and weaker, and then she just passed away a little bit ago. That's, that's the world falling apart. Gas attacks in Syria. This is the, this is the world falling apart. Um, we're not going to be afraid when the world falls apart. How does that work? Like, I'm not anything special up here talking to you guys. I'm like asking the question with you guys. How does that work? How does that work? We're in the middle of a series on the Psalms right now, and we're reflecting on the Psalms, and we keep saying again and again and again, it's kind of the mantra of the Psalm, of our series on the Psalms, that the Psalms give us the language of our faith. They give us a grammar for our life before God. They give us structure. They, they give us a pattern for living of how do we live our full lives in the presence of God. They don't just teach us to be prayerful, though they do do that. Um, the, the Psalms teach us to be fully present. How do we bring our full lives before God? How do we bring our full humanity, the fullness of the human experience, how do we bring that into relationship with, with God? And over the last few weeks, we've seen um, that from these 150 songs and psalms, and they give us permission to um, bring everything before, before God, whether it's excitement, whether it's disappointment, remorse, despair, frustration, anger. We, we, we've heard over the last few weeks from, from, uh, from Pastor Joe, from Evan down at New Life Downtown, from Andrew at New Life Friday Nights, we've heard we don't have to play around in prayer. We've heard that our prayer lives don't have to die from politeness. We've heard that we don't have to disguise the broken bones that are our sinful souls. We can confess that we've heard that we don't have to hide our tear-soaked pillows. The Psalms model what it looks like to bring the entirety of the human experience before God. They give us the language of faith, but we won't be afraid when the world falls apart. I don't know how that works. How do I bring my, because fear feels like it's part of my human experience. Maybe I'm alone, but, but fear, this feels like, how, how does this fit into all of that? The Lord of heavenly forces is with us. That's why we won't be afraid when the world falls apart. When the world falls apart, really, some of you are going through, um, through it. Some of you are going through it. All of us in some way or another, but some of you are really going through it. Some of you are going through like incredible hardship. And uh, it feels like the mountains are crumbling around you. Like all the stability of the world that you always thought would always be there. It's as stable as Pike's Peak. That thing's never going to go. And suddenly it's fallen into the center of the sea. Um, And if you haven't been there now... Um, you have been, or hate to tell you, you will be. Um, it's, it's hard. It's, it feels, some of you are feeling like the churning waters of chaos and death are pulling you under. What is this psalm actually inviting us into? How is it, how do we do this? We won't be afraid when the world falls apart. What's the psalm modeling for us? Um, one of the most 
That's an interesting segue. One of the most um, vocal athe- you can go ahead and throw that slide up. One of the most vocal atheists of our generation, um, a biologist by the name of Richard Dawkins, he actually famously writes, he says, the total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. During the minute that it takes me to compose this sentence, thousands of animals are being eaten alive. Many others are running for their lives, whimpering with fear. Others are slowly being devoured from within by rasping parasites. Thousands of all kinds are dying of starvation, thirst, and disease. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Strong medicine. That's strong medicine. And if you haven't felt that way, a little bit at some point in your life, like what is going on? Is there anything behind these mountains crumbling? Is there any rhyme or reason for the waters churning and surging and swirling? If you've never like felt this, like I wish I was in your shoes because I have, like I'm like, man, is there anything? How does Psalm 46 How does it model what it looks like to actually not be afraid when the world feels like it's falling apart? What exactly do we mean that God is our refuge and strength in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of what's going on in your life, in the midst of what's going on in the world? (laughs) What does it mean that God is our refuge and strength? How, How does that work? In a world filled with so much suffering, pain, danger, and darkness, how exactly can we say in our hearts, or much less invite other people to say, we won't be afraid. We won't be afraid. How can we won't be afraid possibly make sense when we look at the world? When we, when we look at our lives, um, I work in a pharmacy right now to uh, pay the bills. And there, um, in my former store up in Denver, there was this middle-aged, or he still goes there presumably, he's this middle-aged, neatly dressed, put-together fellow. I like him a lot. Um, and he would always, he'd come up to the counter every couple of weeks because we could never quite sync his prescriptions together. And so he's like, some of you know this, like, how do we get prescriptions to all file, you know, be filled on the same day? You can't. They're, you're going to have to go every week. So he'd come up to the counter. Um, it felt like, you know, with regularity during the month, and I would come, I would always say, hey, Mr. I'd say him by name. I'd be like, hey, Mr. So-and-so. Um, no, I didn't violate HIPAA right there. No, all that paperwork means something federal law. Hey, Mr. So-and-so, how are you? And like clockwork, Mr. So-and-so would always reply in the same way, doing just great all the time. Doing just great all the time. He'd always have a smile on his face. He would always be mildly enthusiastic. He would always sound decently sincere about it. Doing just great all the time. 
Like, he's like put together and like, and after the transaction, I, I kid you not, after every single transaction that I had with him, when Mr. So-and-so walked away, I would like quietly wonder to myself, what's wrong with me? Like, is he really doing great all the time? Like, doing just great all the time? Because I'm not, you know? I'm not. And I'm not, I'm never going to tell you that I am. Ever. I'm never going to tell you. All the time, he's doing great. The only time that I would ever say something like that, like, I'm doing just great all the time, might be in sarcasm. You know what I mean? Like, it might be with like a heavy dose of irony do- dolloped onto it as, as satire about the human condition, you know? But it would feel really deeply dishonest for me to, you know, make that my routine response. Is that what Psalm 46 is? Is it teaching us to say a version of that? You know what I mean? Like, is that what, we won't be afraid when the world falls apart. Is, is that just a different version of doing just great all the time? You know, I'm just whistling past the graveyard, drinking a tall glass of denial and chasing it down with a shot of wishful thinking. Is that what, I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so, because of any of the Psalms, the wisdom of Psalm 46 seems to be saying, we could say it this way, the Psalm, uh, the wisdom of Psalm 46 seems to be saying that the life of faith is not a, a life of denial. The life of faith is not the life of denial. And some of you have been handed like a version of faith where it's like there's no room for suffering. If you, have, if you have ambiguity, if you have, if you have doubts, um, that squeezes out faith. And no, 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 no. Faith is where it, doubts and suffering and ambiguity and I don't knows. That's exactly where the life of faith takes place. The life of faith is not the life of denial. Psalm 46 would never try to present that everything's great when everything is demonstrably not great. This psalm is like brutally honest, courageously honest about the ways that the world is not great. The psalm is, you heard Danae read it for us. It's, it's chock full of danger. The, the, the first stanza, it's like full of natural disasters in verses one through three that are devastating the world. You know, mudslides, flash floods, earthquakes, the, the oceans, verse two, the oceans roaring, the mountains crumbling into the center of the sea. And then uh, in the next stanza, verses four through six, they're like geopolitical disasters devastating the world. In verses four through six, God's city seems to be like under attack. Nations are like roaring like the ocean was. They, the, the oceans roar in uh, verse three. And then verse six, the nations are roaring, threatening to like destroy each other. Countries pointing like weapons at each other. King, if this doesn't sound familiar, don't turn on the news. <laughs> live, live in ignorance, it's great. Um, the kingdoms crumbling. There's a lot of danger in this psalm. That's where the life of faith takes place, in a world full of danger. There's a lot of danger in this psalm because it's not in denial. The world is a dangerous place. And yet... And yet, Psalm 46 is one of the absolutely most confident psalms in all 
of the Psalter, in all of the book of Psalms, and all of the scriptures. Psalm 46 seems to be saying, oh sure, the mountains are crumbling and the oceans are roaring, but we won't be afraid when the world falls apart. And oh yes, yes, we know that the nations are roaring at each other and kingdoms, empires, they, they do crumble. But God, God has more power than all of that. A mere <coughs> clearing of the divine throat outstrips, outmaneuvers, outpowers all of the loudest screams of Babylon, Persia, Assyria, Russia, the United States. He's got more power than all of that. Nation, they have to roar, is what it says in verse six. Nations have to roar at each other to just make a kingdom crumble, but God just has to <clears throat> utter his voice. And the earth melts, is what it says. God grunts and the world melts. Oh, sure. Oh, yes, there's danger aplenty, Psalm 46 seems to be saying. We're not denying any of that. That's why this is such incredibly good news. That's why this is such good news. You need refuge and strength when the world's falling apart. That's why it's so good. When do you need a place of safety? When the world's falling apart, you need it in the face of danger. In the same way that none of us can really truly appreciate like the warmth of a dry home unless we've just really been at we've just recently been out in the wet cold snow none of us can really appreciate the good news of of um, a refuge and strength unless we actually live in the real world not in denial about how the we the world's full of danger. That's why this is such good news. The world is dangerous, and that's why this is worth celebrating. The life of faith looks at the real world, the real danger, the waters roaring, the mountains crumbling, the world falling apart, and the life of faith does not say it's not so bad. It's not what the life of faith says. The life of faith does not look at the mountains crumbling and say, it's not so bad. The life of faith looks at the world falling apart and says, the world is falling apart, but there is something deeper than the danger. There is something deeper than the danger. The life of faith is not a life of denial. We could say it that way. We could say, when the world falls apart, faith discerns there's something deeper still. There's something deeper still. In, in the first uh, three verses of this psalm, there's like brutal, courageous honesty about the dangers and disasters devastating the world. And then there's this shift with that word, Selah, at the end of verse three. It says, the waters roar and rage, surging waves, dangerous water barrage and break the mountains. But then suddenly, there's a pause breath, and then our attention is shifted to a different water in verse 4. In verse 4, it's shifted to a, like a deeper water. It says, um, there is a river. Oh, that's good. That, that, I love that part of it. There is a river whose streams make glad God's city. 
It's a beautiful, like, stirring, poetic sort of image, and I don't really want to flatten it out because there's pro- it's probably polyvalent in its meaning, but I do find it really interesting that there's a really good argument to be made that this is a poetic reference to the Gihon Spring. It's like this freshwater spring that lies underneath of Jerusalem. It's an intermittent freshwater spring that lies underneath of Jerusalem. It's uh, deeper than Jerusalem. It's actually the site of a national park um, that you can go visit um, these days. But thousands of years ago, it was the reason why there could be a city there at all, why there could be a city there. Jerusalem, this landlocked hill, you know, this landlocked hill with a city on top of it has fresh water, life bubbling up underneath of it. And so even though the armies and the the armies of men, the armies of hell, (laughs) may march and lay siege to God's city. The city, verse five, will not crumble. The city has deeper supports and a deeper foundation than any enemy could imagine. It will not crumble because God is there. God is in that city. God is under that city. God is supporting that city like, like, deep subterranean water and when morning dawns, verse six, God is going to rescue. That's the forecast. That's what's coming at break of dawn. That is what the future looks like. It's going to happen. The Psalms, this Psalm in particular, invites us to discern, to open ourselves up, to recognize that despite the danger in our lives, despite darkness, despite death, there's something deeper than the danger. There's something deeper still. And the psalmist is clued in to the reality that there is something upholding us even when we cannot feel it. Psalm 46 and the church across the centuries would answer um, the wrestlings of someone like Richard Dawkins, um, they would answer and say, rock bottom reality, reality at its most core, is not pitiless indifference, despite what we may feel sometimes. We could say it this way, the core of reality, guys, this is good, the core of reality is all powerful, cross-shaped, life-giving love. That's what the church, how the church would answer Mr. Dawkins. It's hard to think about the core of anything. It's a word we know, it's a word we use, but it's hard to think about the core of anything. I mean, the easiest that we might be able to picture is like an apple, an apple core. You know, if I take an imaginary apple, you can picture an apple even though it's an imaginary apple, and if I start taking bites of this imaginary apple and strip away bite by bite every bit of what makes this apple an apple, eventually all of you, even though it's just a a stupid imaginary apple, all of you can imagine the stupid imaginary core of this apple. All of you can imagine what the, the, the mysterious center of this core that holds it together, that makes an apple an apple. 
It gets trickier though, when you start, why am I still holding this? Um, it gets, it gets trickier when we start trying to imagine the core of something bigger, of bigger things than just an apple, like planet earth. The earth has a core. We don't think about it very much, but day in and day out, most of us, we don't give much attention to the fact that beneath our feet, like right now, like look down, beneath our feet right now lies a super dense sphere of iron nickel that's about three quarters the size of the moon and hotter than the surface of the sun. Like down there, the earth's core, most of our attention day in and day out isn't about that thing that we can't see. That thing down there that's actually, right now, it's underneath of all of the lofty mountains. It's underneath all of the oceans, the cities bustling, the armies marching. This thing is underneath. It's deeper than all of that. And all of those things, they are not scratching, literally, they're not scratching the surface of the reality of planet Earth because 3,100 miles beneath our feet, there is a core to this planet that makes life possible. It's doing all kinds of things that we can't see. It's, it's got something called gravity. It's literally holding our feet to the ground. The core is liter it's literally holding air in around our, around our planet. Thank you, planet Earth's core. I can breathe. It's generating a magnetic field around our planet. We don't see it, we don't think about it, we don't know any, we, we don't think about this day in and day out. It's generating a magnetic core around our, or a magnetic field around our planet that protects us from cosmic radiation and all kinds of dangers that we cannot see, cannot imagine. We can measure this core's effects but we can't even access it. We can't access it directly. Science cannot get us to the Earth's core. It's, it's, we can just marvel when bits of it erupt to the surface with, you know, its molten power erupts to the surface and changes the landscape around us. In the grand scheme of things, uh, those, those kingdoms, they're just the crust. Those seas, they're just the skin of things. There's something deeper than all of that danger, than all of the anxiety that we carry, than all the things we fear. There's something deeper still. There's a core to reality that makes it all possible. And of course, right now in this little thought experiment, we've just thought ourselves to something bigger than planet Earth, haven't we? <laughs> That's ultimately what we're getting at, is this is, a, this is something bigger than even planet Earth, and it's hard to imagine, but the church, the, our claim is that above and behind and underneath everything, at the core of all reality, deeper still than any danger in our lives, there is love. There is love crackling all-powerful, nuclear love, merciful, just, sacrificial, cross-shaped love, endlessly, generously, creatively pouring out life, love. Christians insist that there is a solid core to reality. 
to like beneath quantum particles, beyond supernovas. There is a core to reality, a molten core to creation, the endless, eternal love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made known to us in Jesus of Nazareth and with the name of Jesus, brothers and sisters. Now we're getting to the heart of things. Now we're getting closer to an answer about how we won't be afraid makes sense. Because if you want to know what strength and refuge looks like, if you want to know we won't be afraid, what that means, if you want to know what the Lord of heavenly forces looks like and what it looks like to follow him, you got to look again and again and again at Jesus. That's where your attention's got to go because in Jesus of Nazareth, we glimpse what God himself really looks like and what true humanity really looks like. In Jesus, we see the core made into a creation. We see, um, we see rock bottom reality made seeable and touchable. We see all powerful, cross-shaped, life-giving love walking among us. And if there ever was a human being who trusted God the Father, as his refuge and strength, it was God the Son. It was God the Son. And yet, Jesus' life of trusting his Father as his refuge and strength ends up taking Jesus not away from danger, but actually into like the, the heart of danger. When Jesus is arrested in Matthew 26, verse 53, he says, don't you realize that I have 12, I could call 12 legions of angels if I wanted to. I could, I could summon up 60,000 angelic special forces, the green berets of heaven. I could call them in right now, but mysteriously, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to. He says, not my will, but yours be done. And, he, and that takes him squarely. It takes us squarely to the cross. When the Lord of heavenly forces arrives in the flesh, he doesn't stop his own world from crumbling. He doesn't use force. He doesn't pull strings to make his own world stop crumbling. He doesn't wave a magic wand and stop the world from crumbling around himself or those he loves. Evidently, following the Lord of heavenly forces doesn't mean that our world won't fall apart. Evidently, trusting that the following the Lord of heavenly forces doesn't mean that our world won't fall apart. The kingdoms will sometimes roar. The mountains will sometimes crumble. The waters of chaos will swirl and surge. But the history of Jesus shows us that following the Lord of heavenly forces means that our world will always, always, always be put back together better and truer and more glorious than it ever was before. As Christians, we read Psalm 46 and the entire scriptures through the lens of Jesus. And so we would say it this way, cross and resurrection is how we won't be afraid makes sense. Cross and resurrection is how we won't be afraid makes sense. That's ultimately how God as our refuge, God is our strength actually works. 
That's how it works. One early Christian put it this way. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The earliest Christians were not proclaiming a faith that guaranteed the world wouldn't fall apart. Part of what the Psalms and the life of Jesus teach us is that pain and danger are like inescapably part of like the human experience right now, tragically part of it right now. The earliest Christians were not proclaiming that the world wouldn't fall apart. They were proclaiming that the world can be put back together. They were claiming that the world is being put back together. In Jesus of Nazareth, that empty tomb that we celebrate last week, that's the first clue that the world's being put back together. The body's not there. There's a little bit of creation that's been reclaimed in the body of Jesus. That human body is being, and Christians, we aren't the people. We're not the people whistling past the graveyard. That's not us. We know that this world is full of carnage, danger, and death. Christians are the people who are learning, daring to sing in the graveyard. In the graveyard because we trust that the bottom of the grave is not rock bottom reality. It's not the, the, the bottom of the grave is not rock bottom reality because we have a king who descended into the watery depths of death and hell and chaos and he's proven that he's deeper than that. He can go deeper than they ever could. He can dive deeper than that. He's proven himself even more powerful. He's come out the other side. Danger and death don't get the last word according to the gospel and according to the psalm too as we're Wrapping up, the last stanza of this psalm, verses 8 through 11, give us like a mysterious nod, just kind of a little nod to the earth's future. It says that there's a day coming when all the devastation of nature, verses 1 through 3, and the devastation that nations wreak on each other, verses 4 through 7, they're finally going to get a glimpse of the devastation that God intends for the world. It's the word that it uses, devastation. Come see the Lord's devastation. And it's a beautiful devastation. There's a day coming when God is going to <clears throat> clear his throat. He's going to whisper a word and devastate the world with love. He'll devastate all the darkness. That's why it trembles. He devastates all, he's going to devastate all the danger. He's going to devastate everything that destroys the world. He, in the verse, the words of the Psalm, verse nine, he breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he obliterates guns, he burns the chariots, and the last enemy to be destroyed, brothers and sisters, is death itself. There's a day coming when creation is going to be remade and everyone who wants to be embraced by all-powerful, cross-shaped, life-giving love is going to get their wish. Because God's going to clear his throat and this broken world is going to melt into new creation. Christians aren't in denial. That's not what Psalm 46 is about. We're not in denial. We're just learning to trust that there's something deeper still. Love 
that remakes, restores, and resurrects. Let that be your refuge when all seems lost. Let that be your strength when you don't think you're going to make it through this week. We could say it this way as we're preparing to come to the table. Faith about the core moderates fear about the surface. Faith about the core moderates fear about the surface. I use the word moderate because I intentionally because I don't think it's possible to be entirely free of fear in this life. Um, But fear, fear may be present in our lives, but fearfulness doesn't have to be part of our souls. Doesn't have to be. If we can recognize the goodness of the core, (laughs) if we can recognize the goodness of the future, it's gonna relieve our fears on the surface. It's gonna relieve our fears in the presence, in the present. When God finally speaks in this psalm, um, he says, that's enough. Now know that I am God. As a few translations have memorably put it, be still and know that I am God. That famous declaration is uh, is not addressed to us when we're sitting serenely in a bathrobe with a peaceful breeze blowing and all is right with the world. That word, be still, is spoken to us in the midst of danger and darkness. And it's, it's a word that means let go. Let go. Loosen your grip. It could even be translated, go limp, go limp. And it's addressed to all of us who are in the middle of of danger and darkness. And we're holding on so tightly to something white knuckled, it's tearing at our skin and then we let go. That's the image. Um, It's about entrusting ourselves to something deeper still in the midst of danger and darkness. And so as we're coming to this table this morning, um, this psalm is, I think, training us. If you want the language of faith, it's training us in the art of recognition. Recognize, brothers and sisters, that rock-bottom reality includes resurrection. Be aware, become aware of (laughs) what's upholding your life and is deeper than all of your danger. The core of all things can comfort you on the surface. Recognize, maybe some of you um, this morning, um, maybe some of you need to recognize that uh, there's there, life and provision, and provision for maybe your family and protection, they don't come from you. They come from God. They, made, they come from God, made known to us in the cross and the resurrection. And Jesus, Jesus is the only one, the only person who has any kind of credibility to say to any of us in the midst of our suffering and agony and sleepless nights, your world is falling apart, but it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. I got you on the other side of this. I got you. I'm deeper than this. There's someone deeper than your pain someone deeper than your struggles, than your doubts, your dangers, even if you're doubting God's existence this morning. Take comfort in the fact that God holds you together. You don't hold God together. It's okay, you can handle it, you can rest. Be still. Let go. That's enough, that's enough. That's why we won't be afraid when the world falls apart. 
God will help you when morning dawns. And some of you need to hear this morning, dawn is coming, dawn is coming. (laughs) There is a river and it may be way beneath the surface, but it's there giving life. This doesn't ride on you. You will not crumble. Your thirst will be quenched. There's something deeper still. All-powerful, cross-shaped, life-giving love. Jesus transforms your catastrophe into a cross. And he promises he's going to share resurrection. The world can be resurrected. Our lives can be resurrected. And so they will be. May you believe this gospel in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.